Father, we love you, and we thank you for your great love for us. Would you speak to us? Help us to hear what you have to say, and may it bear much fruit for your glory. We pray in your Son's precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I think I'm, I'm in a little bit uh, better shape for you than I was for the sur- first service. Uh, this morning I kind of had some chubby eyes and uh, like some dark circles, and my voice was a little, little gravelly um, because I had been I've been crying most of the day yesterday. Um, our youngest son, JP, has left. He moved out, and uh, I don't know whose idea that was, but it's a terrible idea. If we raise children to leave, I'm not sure how I feel about that. He's moved to, um, to Texas for a couple weeks and then on to North Carolina uh, for a few months and then on to his own uh, to, to start his own uh, office in the business that he's a part of. And uh, I was like, this is not fun. Um, we're watching him drive away and it was just like this sad thing and Amy and I were just sitting there crying. And I thought, well, this is a weird stage of life. You know, you don't know that you're going to be there until you're there, you know. And uh, as kids, we never recognize what that does to our parents. Mom, I'm sorry. Um, but so you, 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 you just don't know what stage of life you're in until it kind of happens. And then you just go, well, this is a little weird. And the stage of life that we find ourselves in is, is interesting because we're a little older than we were. And we're still a little younger than maybe we hope to be. And, um, and people come, come to us on occasion for uh, advice. Um, and, and they ask because maybe they see a caller, you know, they think, oh, well, you know, Father Bob probably has some advice. And I think, well, maybe. Or they say, oh, you've been married a certain length of time. You know, why don't I ask you your opinion? Or they find out that I'm a coach or an author, like authors are somehow special. And they go, oh, I want to hear what you have to say. You, you have some advice. And maybe, and I think this is probably more it, they'll see the gray in my beard and the lack of hair. They think that I have something to add. And so people do this from time to time. And I don't always know what to say, to be honest with you. Um, Maybe they're letting their own children go. Uh, Maybe they're going through challenges in marriage or or other things. Maybe they're experiencing some amount of pain. But I I don't always know what to say. And I sometimes say the wrong thing. No, I don't know if you've ever been there, but Sometimes I respond out of ignorance. I don't really know, and I, I wind up saying things I shouldn't. Maybe I say it out of arrogance, like thinking I know. And maybe you've been there. And sometimes I'll say things out of frustration, where I just think, man, get it together. So I don't always know what to say, but I have learned that I need to ask better questions and seek to understand when people come to me. So, for instance, when Amy, my wife, begins to tell me about a personal work situation, I want to fix it. And I'm great at this. Thank you for laughing. I want to, I really want that. It's really comforting. Thank you. I want to help. I really want to help her, right? And sometimes I tell her exactly what she needs to do. And maybe you guys have been there. But sometimes I'll say things like, you know what I would do, right? It's perfect, right? I mean, we got it figured out. It's no problem. What I realized is it's not always helpful. She's not always blessed by my response. So I've learned to ask a different question. And I say, would you like me to listen or would you like me to solve? 
Because I think that sometimes she's sharing not so that I'll fix, but so that I'll hear. And sometimes she really does want my opinion, which is awesome. And I'm happy to tell her. But I think that I'm actually trying to apply a little bit of wisdom by asking the question and then by acting in kind. I think it's, I think it's wise of me to do that. We learned last week, Peter shared a phenomenal sermon on wisdom. And he used J.I. Packer, and I, I want to use his quote a couple times in my sermon today. But he said this, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. It's a great quote, and I think it's an excellent um, definition of what wisdom is. And the world has no shortage of what it calls wisdom. Any advice for people who are suffering, you can, you can Google something, and all of the inspirational quotes you could ever imagine will be at your fingertips, and you've probably heard some of them. You know, when people are suffering... People can say things like, you just need to let go of the past. Right? Just let, just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Right? I did that. They'll say, well, you know, you know better now. Just, just do it right now. Just do it the right way now. It's just really easy. Just do the right thing. Some people will just say, well, you know what? You, you just need to move on. Just move on. Or how about this one? Oh, I understand you're, you're hurting. You should stay busy. You know, if you stay busy, you know, it, it doesn't catch up to you. Just, just keep yourself occupied. Some people say things like, well, just act like it didn't happen. Act like it didn't happen. I don't know how that's supposed to work, but I've heard it. Or people say things like, just avoid the situation altogether. Or avoid that person. Just avoid it. Just walk around it. There's a saying that comes uh, to mind when I think about this type of thing. And it's, I'm sure, going to resonate with all of you. And it's not particular to being Montanan. But it says, you can lead a horse to water, but can't make it drink. So what does it look like for us to have wisdom? I mean, what, what does it look like to practice wisdom when things are hard and we're suffering? And what does it look like for us to have wisdom when people come to us and ask us what they think we should do? What does it look like to be wise when we are at fault? When we've blown it? Where do we turn? And I think that if we have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand that the gospel passage is going to help us with that today. And I won't take the time to reread the passage um, because we, we kind of know what's going on. We heard it read. Um, but I am going to expand it a little bit and talk about what Peter and Jesus have to say to one another. So the scene is that Jesus has been appearing to the disciples after the resurrection and, and Peter and the disciples are, are sitting around and they're trying to decide what to do. So Peter decides to go back to what he knows. And you can just hear the wisdom of the world. Peter, be sensible. What are you doing? You're wasting time, Peter. Come on, get with it. Enough of this Messiah stuff, okay? You need to go back to work. 
That's what you need to do. Earn a living. Come on. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Catch some fish. Feed your family. Let's get back to the real world, Peter. So that's what Peter does. He goes back to fishing. And Nathaniel and Thomas and others were probably wondering what on earth they should do. And probably looking to Peter to some degree to see what he would do in a situation where everybody's uncertain. So they go with him. And they caught nothing. Okay, professional fishermen. They caught nothing. They know everything they can know. This is their spot. They know the boats. They know the shoals. They know the way the, 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 the land is. They know the water. They know where the fish congregate. They know what they eat. They know when they eat it. They know everything about this. And their wisdom amounts to nothing. Because they catch nothing. And now a weird thing happens in the story. Is some weird guy on the shore asks them how it's going. Okay? Now we, we know because we've read the story, we know it's Jesus. But they don't know. They don't know it's Jesus. So there's professional fishermen. They fished all night. They know exactly what they're doing. And they're tired. And it's morning. And some guy on the shore says, Children, do you have any fish? So, they answered him no. Now, this is a little bit of wisdom from the book of Bob. There's nothing worse than asking a fisherman how things are going when they aren't going well. Don't, don't walk up to a fisherman and say, hey, have you caught any yet? Don't do that. Because they may not have and they're sore. They're really not happy. But what you could say is, Man, it's a great day to be outside fishing, isn't it? And they will say, oh, every t- absolutely. Right? Every fisherman knows. Bad day fishing, better than a good day at work. <laughs> so, this guy, who they don't know, says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And this is super weird, because they just do it. And if you're just reading the story, it's kind of odd that these professional men who know everything and know how to do this and have fed their families and probably been generational fishermen listen to some strange dude on the shore saying, oh, we'll try the other side, as if we haven't tried that all night. (laughs) So they do. And they catch a ton of fish. I don't know why they would do that. It doesn't seem very wise. And they realize who it is, Simon Peter, who heard it was the Lord. He puts on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. So some more wisdom from Bob. One, don't add clothes to your body when you're trying to swim. (laughs) Don't do that. It's bad. It's easier to swim without clothing on. Number two, don't jump in the water to get to shore. You have a perfectly good boat. Paddle to the shore. You're dry, it's faster, it's better. Number three, don't leave your buddies to do all the work. They're never going to be happy with you. But Peter jumps in and he swims. Now for context, it's important to remember that Jesus has appeared to the disciples on a couple of other occasions. But he said only once, like a couple times, but he said only like peace to you. 
as he appeared to them. There, there hasn't been a whole lot of dialogue. He, he does say to Thomas previously, he says, hey, take a look at my hands. Take a look at my side. But there hasn't been a, much in the way of kind of deep meaning and conversation. So Peter's last interactions around Jesus were when he was denying Jesus. He denied Jesus to a servant girl as he stood by a charcoal fire. Jesus goes in and he's being accused the court of the high priest and he's standing outside and there's this charcoal fire and he's warming himself by the fire and there's other people around the fire and they're doing the same thing. And a servant girl comes up and says, hey, aren't you a Jesus follower? Not me. And somebody else at the fire who's gathered there for comfort says, hey, wait, weren't you a disciple of Jesus? And he says, no. Peter earlier had cut the ear off of a guy. And one of his relatives is at that fire. He says, didn't I see you at the garden? It wasn't me. Peter's last interactions around Jesus had to do with him denying Jesus to save his own skin. That's pretty wise of him pretty wise. I mean, because if he doesn't lie, what's going to happen? They're going to treat him like they're treating Jesus. Well, we don't want that to happen. Peter wasn't having it. It's pretty wise, right? Maybe not. So Peter swims about a hundred yards, and this takes a while, especially because he's clothed, and it makes you think, like, what was he thinking? Is he thinking about his interaction with Jesus, and what, what should he do if he talks to him, and how is this going to go? And maybe about halfway there, he's like, maybe I should swim the other way, because I'm not sure what's going to happen here. So when he got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it. And it's weird here in the text because John makes the point of telling us what kind of fire this is a second time. If you remember earlier in the story, it was near the charcoal fire that Peter was warming himself where he denied Jesus. And now John says, you come up on the beach, guess what's there? A charcoal fire. It made me start thinking. You know, there's a distinct smell in Rwanda. Um... It, it, it's memory evoking. And it, it has to do with eucalyptus burning because that's part of what they burn for wood and, and things like that. And when you smell it, you know it. You just go, oh, that's Rwanda. And what we know is that, and it is kind of known in general, is that the strongest memory evoker is smell. Did you know that? Here's why. Did a little study. So I'm going to read it for you. Stay with me. When you see... Use your senses. When you see, hear, and touch, or taste something, that sensory information first heads to the thalamus. It's part of, your, part of your brain. And it acts as your brain's relay station. And the thalamus then sends the information to the relevant brain areas, including the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, and the amygdala, which does the emotional processing. But with smells, it's different. Scent bypasses the thalamus and goes straight 
to the brain's smell center known as the olfactory bulb. Take that with you this morning for free. Olfactory bulb. The olfactory bulb is directly connected to the amygdala and hippocampus, which might explain why the sense of smell of something can trigger immediate feelings and memories and intense interactions. We just don't process smell the same way. It goes like that. So Peter swims, and the first thing, after the salt water and all the sand and the things, and he gets up on shore and he catches a whiff of the charcoal fire. He would have had a pretty intense emotional reaction and memory. And Jesus already has fish and bread. He doesn't really need anything he has. In fact, they haven't caught any fish without him. It's quite ironic. They all knew it was the Lord at this point. And Jesus took the bread and the fish and gave it to them as if to reestablish who he was and reestablish who they were like the last supper they had together. But Peter had to sit through breakfast. He had to sit there and listen to everybody talk and eat what Jesus provided the entire time smelling the fire and wondering how this interaction with Jesus would go. John says when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, tend my sheep. So he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you that when, where, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, Jesus said, follow me. Which is back to chapter 1. And what John is using as a, as a device. Follow me as the disciples in chapter 1. And now at the end of the book, follow me. He's saying the same exact thing. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat what Peter did. He actually does something you may have missed. He calls him his old name. So Peter is smelling his betrayal. He's sitting there wondering how this is going to go with Jesus. And Jesus, instead of saying Peter, which is the name that he gave him, he says, Simon, son of John, which probably sent a chill through Peter's body. Wait, wait, wait. I'm Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he does this as if to reinstate Peter. And Peter was probably carrying around this massive amount of guilt for his behavior. And you can almost hear it in his voice. And the Greek says, Peter was grieved. And we kind of go like, oh, Peter was grieved. Well, how would you feel? Gutted. Destroyed. Lord, you know 
everything, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, and follow me. You see, Jesus knows Peter needs healing. He knows Peter needs healing. He knows what he did, and he knows in order to go forward, he's got to get healed. He knows what Peter is going to face. And he addresses Peter's actions in a way that acknowledges his denials, the threefold denial, the threefold I love you's. And he asks him if he loves him, which is a really important question. Do you love Jesus? Peter's wise enough to know that he needs Jesus. He's wise enough to turn to him and to literally swim to him even when he's done Jesus wrong. You see, Packer says, remember, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. And here's Peter. He sees and chooses Jesus. Jesus is most certainly the best and highest goal. And indeed, Jesus is the surest means of attaining it. So Jesus says to Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Why would Peter love Jesus? We can be theological. Oh, he died for his sins. They hung out together for three years. I think he would love him because, well, he walked on water. And Jesus rescued him. And Peter experienced new life. With Jesus. It wasn't the same. So why would he love Jesus? Well, because they were friends. I mean, they probably shared a lot of laughs together, certainly a lot of meals. They got to know each other. They did, they did life together. But Peter is wise enough to know life with Jesus was different. See, Peter knows the healing is found in loving Jesus. And forgiveness is found in loving Jesus. Jesus asks him, do you love me? He doesn't say, do you believe in me? He doesn't say, do you think my teachings are a good idea? He says, do you love me? And Peter knows forgiveness is found in loving Jesus. And hope is found in loving Jesus. And purpose is found in loving Jesus. And wisdom is found in loving Jesus. And Jesus tells Peter, follow me. You want new life? Follow me, Peter. If you want the life away from shame and guilt, follow me. If you want the life of meaning and purpose, follow me. If you want a life that doesn't look like the rest of the world, follow me. If you want a life that looks like a full net and not an empty net, follow me. There's greater life to be found in Jesus. He's the one that changes our names and changes our hearts and our minds, and he actually leads us to love. And we cannot and we must not be the kind of people who have this type of wisdom. Do as I say. We can't do that. 
We can't be the kind of people who, oh, Jesus is good for you, but not for me. That's not wisdom. We can't tell people to turn to Jesus when we ourselves don't run or swim to him. People are watching us. They're watching us. Your kids are watching you. My son watched me, and now he drove off. Your coworkers are watching you. Your family members and your friends and your neighbors are watching you. Will you love Jesus? Will you swim to him? So when they come to us and they ask us our advice, we have to have something to offer them. See, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And I can love people in Jesus' name, and I do. And I can pray that God will see, that they will see God in me, and I do. But I can't make people have a characteristic of God. That is only something He does, because it's who He is. I can't make them wise. I can point to wisdom. It's a part of who he is. And apart from him, there is no wisdom at all. All wisdom is God's wisdom in the same way that all truth is God's truth. So I can point to Jesus and I can tell people about him, but I can't make people love him. Do you love Jesus? Do you? Do you love him? Honestly, my only hope in the suffering in this world is that people would be wise enough to turn to Jesus the way Peter did. To to swim to him, to run to him. And my advice for you today is to do the same. The wisdom of this world is so much empty nets. It's empty. And God has provided in Christ Jesus a way forward in and through our own despair. And it looks like going after Jesus with everything we have. So I want you to think about where you are right now and think about the different scenarios and relationships and challenges you may be facing. And instead of asking the question, you're like, what should I do? Ask this question. What is the wisest thing for me to do?